about to yeah build up and put that DA through, and we can put another two two or four units on there. And and the minute we go up one level, yeah, we got amazing views, and that that will change. Uh, you know, a four million dollar uh, investment um, to a twelve million dollar investment, wow. ten or twelve, depending. This is Property Investory, where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset, and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum, and in this episode, we're speaking with Sydney's top buyers agent, Walter Nanny. We'll hear about the most rundown house he's ever seen, which helped him to purchase his first real estate business at 22, the lucky escape he made from a beautiful seaside location, and the surprising amount of properties sold in Australia that don't even make it onto the market. Nanny has been working as a real estate agent since he was 20 years old after being inspired by the men he saw around him who owned up to 20 properties. started asking them and picking their brain and seeing how they do it. Um, and, uh, and along the line, I started seeing examples or opportunities and I guess I'm one where um, when I see an opportunity, I don't like to let it go. Uh, and that's been uh, a, a huge part of the success and also something that I need to watch uh, as well where I've started to decline some opportunities because you don't want to get too big or too, you know, too risky as well. So I've always been careful, uh, even though I see opportunities. But I did start seeing some opportunities, and that's how we got started. And uh, and the rest is history, I guess. He ran his own real estate business for 15 years before managing several Harcourts franchises. Uh, we changed uh, from being a company called Robert Andrew, which I was a shareholder of the group and a director, over to being um, uh, they sold out to a company called Harcourts, who came over from New Zealand, who were well, one of the biggest, if not the biggest in New Zealand. And basically, um, they, after a year or two of running it here themselves, they wanted to appoint someone more local to be the CEO. And, and I was running the largest company at the time yeah, out of the, all the offices. So they um, offered me the position, um, which I, I took up. And then basically, um, uh, as far as uh, the the, what I did was I kept my business running uh, whilst we grew the uh, the franchise business here in New South Wales from about five uh, shop fronts to about forty, roughly thirty eight to forty, and um, and then um, along the way there, I guess there was some. Uh, I did that for about uh, eight or nine years uh, running that that as well as my own, and then it was time for me to back out. There was change in management and changes uh, up the top or in the company. And I guess that was partly when I really put the foot down, or probably a year or two before I left it, I put the foot down as far as on the property investing side because I realized that I guess I needed something that was always going to provide for me and I lost a bit of faith in running these businesses that I, even though I was a shareholder and, and part owner and all the rest of it, I it needed a lot of my attention in my time. And I guess you could say that I was disappointed with the outcome after running businesses for 20 years, I thought, you know what, it's not, I, I didn't think that it was what it, uh, it was going to provide for me and my family, I guess, the way that I thought it would for the rest of our lives. And so that's where I really turned to property investing and thought, nah, this is, this is the way it's going to be. I've got to really focus on that. And that's what I did for the next seven or eight years. I owned uh, three properties um, up to that point, And that was, um, 
uh, funny enough, I had one of those reminders on Facebook come up with, you know, the old photos that says, hey, it's been, you know, seven years today. And, and that was an old photo from, I think, uh, a year or two before I left that company. So I'd say, yeah, seven or eight years ago is when I realized and, and really put the foot down. And, 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 and I bought, uh, well, there you go, seven years ago, I bought a building of four units in Bondi. And, uh, and that's when I, I, I wanted to, to basically hit it big and, and do something that was going to, um, I guess, be a, a big goal for me to, to chew over the next 10 years. And I wasn't wrong, <laughs> but it was also, yeah, it's also going to give me the opportunities to really accelerate my goals and my plans. His journey into real estate started with a then 12-year-old brick veneer house that was the autonomy of the worst house on the best street. It was just the most rundown house you've ever seen. So that you know they had 12 cats living there, and you know, and, and it was just the wrong people with with the right house, and um, the price had been reduced because no one could sell it back then from 120, 130 down to 90, 950, I think, and so. I offered them uh, 90, I think they didn't take it, and then we bought it for 95. And the, the way that that worked is that, I, you know, as a young man, I didn't have enough for a deposit. I just bought my, you know, brand new Commodore because that's what you do when you're 20. <laughs> yeah, and, and I thought that was the answer to all my problems. <laughs> and uh, and it was the answer to some problems back then, but not, not all of them. But um, I convinced my parents. Um, it took a bit of work, but I, I know I convinced mum and dad took a bit of work after that to use their equity and to go halves with me. And, uh, and you know, initially dad didn't want to borrow it, but then I said, hey, look, the way we'll do it is I'll do all the renovations and whatever else, and then we'll just sell it. Um, and then uh, I reckon this thing will be worth 150 and we'll get our $50,000. And um, they had a mortgage of 75,000, uh, which is, uh, oh, sorry, mortgage of 60,000. Their home was worth 75 is what they paid for it. After the deposit and so forth, they owed sixty thousand, and um, and basically they were faced with a twenty-five year mortgage, you know. And I said, "Well, that's crazy. Mm. Um, what you want to do is we'll do this, and I'll give you the twenty-five grand, and that'll cut half of it off, you yep. know." And so we did it, and uh, within six months, I completely renovated it uh, with some friends and friends of friends and tradies, and um, instead of selling it, we decided to refinance against it because I got a very good broker, and so. We still managed to um, to refinance and pull out our money, and uh, we got roughly twenty five thousand each. And I bought my first real estate business at the age of twenty two, and with that money, and they actually paid you know twenty grand off their mortgage, which is great. Mm. So off the back of that, we did it again a year later, and we did another place for eighty eight thousand. We paid, and then we that was worth about one thirty one forty by the time I renovated it. And then I, I can't, then the, the, the other the third property I bought off the equity that we then had was a block of land uh, down the south coast in a place called Ostamini, just before Wollongong, and that was to build my dream home. So it wasn't all about investing at that point. I thought, no, nah, now it's time to, um, you know, do the, do the thing and all the rest of it. But then um, uh, I realized that uh, that, that wasn't, or uh, well, my relationship didn't work out for, for one. And secondly, it wasn't where I wanted to be and it wasn't a thing. So I decided to eventually sell that. And I got very lucky that uh, it was a bit of a boom period. So even though uh, I held on to it for two or three years, I managed to make $100,000 on it before I sold it because that block could have cost me a lot of money. So that was a, a very lucky escape. This was going back to at least the 90s, I assume? 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I started real estate in 93, I think. Yeah, 94. And so, um, so yeah, that was probably 95, 96. And a lot of changes happened, obviously, around the New South Wales area. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there is a funny, funny thing though is, I mean, I still do a lot of, yeah, speaking gigs and seminars about property investing and the principles are all the same. And I meet a lot of people that have a lot of equity in their homes that are in their 40s and 50s and they have teenage or 20 year old kids and um and I always talk to them about that story because I think you know it not only set me up but it's since have set up my whole family uh not just my mum and dad but my sister as well you know where we own a lot of property all of us together mm. so um that's been a huge part of uh, our strategy Nenny and his wife worked together to form the property dream team my wife and I work together my wife does all the searching as far as you know, whether it's realestate.com domain and we find a lot of off-market and pre-market opportunities as well. Um, like my phone's been going crazy this morning because agents are actually back now from holidays so they've listed all these properties and saying, hey, here's all the property. So I'm on the phone most of the day. I'm on the phone to um, new potential clients and meeting with new potential clients because I do, in that, they get, you know, we do a whole hour of, I guess, strategy sessions where I deal with a lot of investors. Um, also, you know, uh, home buyers who want to buy their own home, but um, I tend to specialize more in investors. So that requires planning out a strategy. Mm. So I teach them a strategy where we're able to sit down and go, cool, so that takes about an hour. And then the other things I do is I look at a lot of property um, and my, my weeks are sort of break up into I do weeks where on a, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I'm looking at a lot of off-market and pre-market properties. On a Thursday, Saturday, I'm looking at all the on-market stuff. And, uh, and I'm doing, um, uh, I guess, on night times, we're doing a lot of auctions and on Saturdays as well. So that, that's kind of the, uh, the week, the way it splits up, I guess. I think what a lot of people don't realize, and I didn't know either when I was um, running my, even running my own real estate business, is that um, about 40% of properties that get sold uh, in Australia don't hit the market. So um, uh, they're, they're, they're either uh, sold as a, so they were about to hit the market. They're a pre-market opportunity where the agent says, well, we'll put the feelers out to buyers, agents, and my small database before we actually hit the market. So in other words, yeah, they'll, they're about to come on the market next week, but they'll say, hey, well, uh, we're getting 10 people through. Do you want to come through? I say, yep. So we go through, and if, there's a, if it's a match and my buyers like it, we buy it. And so a lot of properties get sold that way. Um, and part of the reason they do that is just to get a good feel for, especially as a, you know, the agents want to know what they should be quoting for that property. So getting 10 people through, they get a bit of a feel so that it's a soft launch, I guess. Um, and then there's complete off-market opportunities. And what they are is that there's a lot of people who don't want to hit the market because, um, you know, they've... They're, number one, they save a lot of money in marketing. Mm. So there's, you know, a five to ten thousand dollar saving depending on the budget of or the price of their home. Um, the other reason they do that is they don't want all these people trampling through their home. Um, they don't want the neighbours to know. So there's there's a whole range of reasons. But um, overall, personally, I mean, I love all the pre-market properties. They're great opportunities because the vendor is motivated to sell. We're just getting in before anyone else. Mm. Um, the off-market opportunities, I like probably 30 or 40% of those, whereas 60 to 70% of them are overpriced. Um, the vendor's not motivated, and so you've got to just sort out through those opportunities a bit, you know, a bit more careful. 
but they're, they're, you know, at the moment as a company that I work for, Cohen Handler, who are the biggest agents in, in Australia, we're buying 43% uh, currently uh, off in pre-market. So it's, you know, huge numbers. We've got an offer come through today and uh, they went through the very first open on Saturday. Uh, the agents are made of mine. Look, my, my relationships are what is very important in the marketplace that I, that I work in. And so, funny enough, I just bought off the agent uh, in December as well. So hopefully we're going to do another deal uh, today or tomorrow on another property that he's got. And um, and it's, like I said to my buyer, you know, 10 minutes ago, it's, it's, it's a quick game. So once we're in, we're in. And the less buyers that get to see it, the better. Mm. So even though this one wasn't pre-market, it was actually on the market. There are only a handful of buyers there, so we shouldn't have too many dramas in wrapping it up. And the job that I need to do, obviously, as a buyer's agent, is make sure that uh, the value is there that we'll make fifty or a hundred thousand dollars on on this purchase. If we can't, then we'll just move on to something else. Nanny's number one priority is helping his clients purchase the right property. From there, his happy clients spread the word. Eighty percent of, of our business is referral and repeat. So, in the end, the reason I get referral and repeat business is because obviously people are happy that they've made money, and. Um, all in all, what it comes down to is um, my clients have to make money. So in other words, uh, we buy undervalued properties. Um, I can name on one or count on one hand the times that we've paid market price for a property and it's only because my buyer, my client fell in love with the house or the property and said, I, I just got to have it. I don't care what I pay. Usually I can talk them out of that, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's been a handful of times that they go, no, no, no. And look, there are extreme cases as well. We bought, you know, uh, late last year we bought a property for six and a half million dollars, and they said we don't care, we just want to have this, you know. And I said, okay. So we didn't get much of a discount. I still think we did well. It's an amazing, you know, unique property overlooking Tamarama Beach. But it's not like we saved a hundred or two hundred thousand dollars. In the end, the, the job is to make sure that my clients make money and. Because like I said I, I do a, a lot with investors. Um, if we can't make money, you know, fifty or a hundred thousand dollars on a purchase, then we move on to the next one because I know that I can. And so that already gives them a reason to use me. I mean, why wouldn't you? Um, and you know, because obviously it offsets whatever we charge, and by, by a long shot. And and basically it makes sure that you're buying the right property for for, un, for under what you should be paying. You know, and then that's been, that, that, that's why people use us, the main reason. His company covers the east coast cities of Brisbane, Melbourne and Sydney. Uh, the main focus, I guess, is uh, is still Sydney in the sense that they've got, the company's got four, four or five offices in Sydney, so North Shore and West and, yeah, um, Inner West and Cronulla and all those sorts of areas. Um, I personally look after, um, well, mainly Sydney Metropolitan. Personally, I, I do most of the, I do all the eastern suburbs and some of the inner west and inner city, but I have two PAs where they also run around to, you know, one's based in Cronulla, so all of the south end, and one's based in Parramatta, so all the west. And that works for me because I guess I've been around this game for a very long time, and so I get a lot of referral work, and they want me to go all over Sydney, so. Um, we carry um, about 15 to 20 clients with the three of us and we, um, yeah, and that gets us, keeps us busy but not, you know, um, uh, I guess it keeps us turning over uh, property each month and, uh, and buying well. He brought his longtime friend and mentor to work with him at Hard Courts who then encouraged him to set and achieve bigger goals. He owns a very large portfolio and he asked me the question um, 
you know, seven or eight years ago saying, what's your strategy with owning these uh, these investment properties that you've got? And I said, um, I don't I don't really have a strategy. Uh, or I guess my strategy was that um, I keep doing what I did before and just um, because I'd owned the home with my parents, I found that, uh, yeah, we're just getting ahead and I could pay off my own home eventually. And that was, that was it for as far as a strategy. I just wanted to pay off my own home. And he said, um, that's good. You know, that's better than most. Um, but it's still not, you know, you could do a whole lot more. I mean, you're a young man, you, you haven't reached 40 yet, and you could do bigger goals. And I thought, yeah, cool. So he asked me the question and he said, um, so how much money do you need to live on each year if you didn't have to pay your rent or a mortgage? And first I thought, what the hell is he talking about? I have no idea. You know, I mean, we earn what we earn, but I don't know. He said, well, can you survive or are you happy to be earning $100,000 a year uh, if you didn't have to pay rent or a mortgage? And I said, yeah, oh, hell, that, 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 that's awesome because if I didn't have those expenses, then I could still travel overseas each year, um, you know, have dinners out, uh, obviously run your household of electricity and all the bills and food and be happy days because I've had a lot of spare time. And he said, well, all right, let's work on $100,000. He said, how many properties do you need to own? in order for you to have $100,000 worth of income. And again, I thought, I have no idea. So we started working out of my properties, what they're roughly bringing in per annum, and the answer was $25,000 each. So very quick mathematics, we went, well, if I had four of those, that would give me $100,000 worth of income per annum. And he said, yep, cool. And then he said, well, how many properties would you need to buy in order to own four outright? And or sorry, five, because you've got to have one to live in. And I said, well, I don't know. Is this a trick question? He said, no, it's not. But you've got to understand that he said, look, you've been around now for, you know, uh, back then it was probably 15, 16 years in the business. And he said, you've seen two two boom periods, you know, two cycles of a, of a cyclical marketplace. In other words, something that repeats every seven to 10 years. And I said, yeah. And he goes, well, um, Every time it goes through seven to ten years, it doubles in price. So, how many properties do you want to own in order to uh, to own five outright? And he said, and I said, I have no idea. He said, look, you usually double it. So, if you want to own five properties outright, you want to be buying ten. So that basically, when you go through one or two cycles, in other words, ten or twenty years, then you can sell off half and pay off the other half. And that became my, my plan for the next, uh, well, still living it, I guess, but <laughs> my plan for the, for the future. And I owned three at the time. Then we bought a block of four because I wanted to accelerate it. And since then, we bought another block of units and another two properties. So we're sitting at about 12 at the moment, and we're looking to develop both blocks. So that'll end up with probably over, well, not, not probably, but over 25 properties. And, and the hardest ones to buy were the first, second, and third, <laughs> funny enough. <laughs> Nanny sticks to Sydney for his own portfolio due to some of the stories he's heard from investors buying out of the state. A lot of people uh, have moved or bought property in Queensland for a very long time and when I say horror stories, not horror, horror, but I mean, you know, uh, only a few horror stories, the rest of them just is always decided to come back. So, they'd always go to Queensland and always buy there and then two years later, they're back mm. and, and, and made very little money. So, that's that's been with me for now for a a long time, so I never really had any um, uh, well faith in in buying interstate. Um, I do believe in Melbourne because I've heard good stories from Melbourne, different 
different times, but I've also heard some some bad stories. I guess what I learned since then, because I started, uh, I guess, investigating a bit more about interstate, because, you know, as I speak at a lot of expos and conferences, I hear other speakers speak about how they should buy in, you know, Melbourne and Brisbane and all that. And when when experts sort of rode Sydney off, rode it off last year, they were all saying, go to Brisbane, go to Brisbane. But I started uh, thinking a bit harder about that and reading some more articles about it. And what it made me realise is that um, Sydney and Melbourne have the most population growth each year, uh, led by Sydney, but followed closely by Melbourne. And... Um, as far as uh, uh, what creates a marketplace for an investor is, uh, or anyone, is supply and demand. And the, the, the problem with, I think, particularly Brisbane and the West Coast as well, so, you know, uh, Perth and Adelaide and, and so forth, is that they lack the population growth. And so without population growth, you don't have demand. Um, and the problem then is that if you've got a, like a mining boom, say, in Perth, where it's led by the mining boom that, which, that, that that ended and which was always going to end, then it means that you've got an oversupply. And that's what I'm seeing, particularly in Brisbane and now in, in Melbourne, that there's just an oversupply. They're just building high-rise left, right and centre. Even though they've got the infrastructure, the population growth doesn't it doesn't keep up with the demand. Uh, sorry, sorry, the... The, 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 the supply, yeah. The supply, I'm yeah. sorry. And so, yeah. And so that, that's the problem. And this is the problem that Sydney will face this year, I think, as well, that, you know, we it always happens at the tail end of the boom. Mm. What finishes the boom is an oversupply, and that's what you're about to see in Sydney as well. But it hasn't been that case just because of population growth and the Chinese buying in, in Sydney have been so that the demand has been far outweighing the supply. Yeah. Um, and that's why I, I, I haven't and I don't see myself ever leaving Sydney. Sydney properties are averaging over a million dollars but Nanny hasn't noticed that deterring people. In fact, it motivates them more to come into it. Um, so, I mean, affordability um, till, till recently was there still, you know, around 4.5%. So, it's still been fairly affordable because our wages obviously kept up with with demand. Having, having said that, um, you look at, you look at uh, at Sydney, and I guess it's hard to just talk about Sydney because Sydney's broken up into three or four different marketplaces. Um, and so, whenever you hear reports of Sydney, you got to think, well, hang on, what's driving that? So you've got the east, you've got the blue blue ribbon areas of the North Shore, and that, and then you've got the other tiers that are working alongside, um, and then you've got the west. So there's a lot of different marketplaces happening in different demographics. Um, the other thing to think of is, you know, as far as putting all eggs in one basket is that you know, I've got investors, particularly one guy that owns, you know, 35, 40 one-bedroom units around Darlinghurst and Potts Point. And a lot of people have said to him over the last 30, 40 years, why don't you diversify? <laughs> but um, <laughs> this has kind of worked out for him, you know. So, yes. <laughs> yeah. Exceptionally so, around that area. Exceptionally well, yeah. And, and, you know, one of my other business partners owns a lot of blocks of units in Sydney, all over Sydney. And that worked out for him as well. So, yeah, I guess I, I have living examples of proof of guys that have done it before and that's where I'm, I guess I'm getting my, my life lessons as well. Nanny is cautious as an investor, which has helped him avoid making any major mistakes. I think that the lowest of the low was probably that block of land where, you know, things didn't work out for me and then um, I also found out that... Um, 
this land is sort of on, on a hill and it overlooks the ocean. Be- beautiful part of the world. It's just that because of that, I hadn't done any research. I mean, I was a young guy and apparently there was um, like a, a below it, uh, like in the ground was like a natural water um, sort of easement running down the bottom and underneath it. And so it meant that for me to build on it, I'd have to really spend a lot of money in doing that. Um, so had I started, you know, I, I did get plans approved, um, but had I started to actually hit the button and build, that could have really been a, a tragic uh, thing to do because, it, you know, it would have sucked a lot of cash and a lot of capital. Um, still to today, I still drive past that block from time to time and no one's built on it. And I think <laughs> okay. it's because of that reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and besides that, there were other problems that, you know, even one of the neighbours had built his house on uh, was encroaching on that land as well. So it had a lot of challenges, a lot of problems that I just didn't see at the time and know and, and did enough homework to when I bought it. So I just saw the views of the ocean and went, yeah, this is beautiful, but had a lot of problems. So I was very lucky to, to duck away or get out of that. And it was because I decided I didn't want to live there anymore. It wasn't so much as a bad investment. And then what really cemented my decision to sell it was that I thought, well, um, you know, it has got these other challenges. Um, maybe I just just get out of this and take my hundred, uh, which I thought I'd sort of make around a hundred and and run. And that's what happened. But I, besides that, I've always been um, very cautious. Like even when I bought the block of units in Bondi, I knew that uh, that building has subsided, so I've had to underpin it. it cost me you know sixty, seventy thousand to do that, and that was risky. But I knew that the the uh, it was very calculated risk in the sense that. Um, I'd spoken to a structural engineer, and he said, "Yeah, tops hundred thousand dollars to underpin it. Um, not that it would be a hundred percent, but it would be livable, and you'll be fine with that investment." And I thought, "That's fine. I can handle a hundred thousand dollar, you know, loss into it because I bought it for a lot under what, mm. a lot under value, whatever it was worth." And also, I knew that if I got myself in trouble, I could sell off the other three properties that I owned at the time. I'd rather keep a block of four units in Bondi than anything else that I had. Down the pinning just means that they dig uh, holes, um, they, they dig all the way around the footings and they literally pour concrete into the ground surrounding it. So they give it bigger bigger shoes, I guess. And they um, they drill into your footings and they put steel rods and the, the, the new concrete um, attaches itself to give it um, just bigger footings. That's basically what it means. So it's now sitting on a, a massive uh, uh, ton of concrete that's sitting underneath the building. Oh, um, okay. So it just means that it stops any more movement because I don't know if you know, but most people don't, but all of Bondi and and a lot of the eastern suburbs are built on sand dunes. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there used to be all sand dunes there. So sand, dune, sand is great to build on, but the challenge with it, and these are things you learn along the way, is that um, uh, it, it – when when uh, when the roads shake because of traffic, we're on a main road. The road shakes, and if you're uh, if if there's water getting in because um, the people who owned it before us uh, let the well, uh, they didn't do any maintenance work to the block, so all of the stormwater and everything was uh, running underneath the footings. And so you can imagine if you put sand in a glass, um, if you th- throw put water in it as well and shake it, you'll see that you know, it all moves. And so sand actually carries vibration. And so that's what causes buildings or, or property to actually subside and, 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 and move and crack. Um, so 
Sand is amazing to build on, so I've been told by a lot of engineers, as long as it's well contained. You know, if it's not, then it can just slide down like an hourglass, and that, that's exactly what happened. And also Bondi has fantastic views of the ocean. The good thing is, look, we're about to, yeah, build up and put that DA through and we can put another two, two or four units on there and, and the minute we go up one level, yeah, we've got amazing views and that, that will change, uh, you know, a, a $4 million uh, investment um, to a $12 million investment. Wow. 10 or 12, depending. Yeah, and that, that just changes the, the whole dynamics of everything and that, that, that's pretty cool. His aha moment featured the block of units he had his eye on for a while. And he ended up bidding without having his finance approved, so he could beat the boom. It has to be the building, I mean, because that that really changed our our, our lives. So, the, the the biggest thing that happened there was that uh, I didn't have uh, finance approved at the time to buy it because what happened was um, I was traveling a lot for for Harcourts, you know, interstate, and I and I just got off the plane, uh, caught a cab home, and I drove past, and I'd been keeping an eye on blocks of units because I knew that was going to be something that would really accelerate, you know, the portfolio and really get myself uh, on, on the right path. So I was keeping an eye on this block and two or three others and uh, it had been on the market for a long time and the market hadn't moved yet. Um, my business partner and, 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 and uh, mentor at the time said, uh, you know, the boom's coming in the next 12 or, or, or 24 months and I said, yeah, absolutely, you know, it's overdue because of the GFC and other things. It just took a long longer time to get here so anyway i saw that they'd slapped an auction sticker on this block and i thought oh no i thought i've got to, i'm gonna to have to move fast um so i rang my broker as soon as i saw the auction sign because it was in 20 days and i said um hey what do you think can we get this done and he said oh man you know i'll do my best but i don't know you know i don't know if i can get it done in time so we started working on the finance and um well, uh, 20 days later, because it was all a bit complicated, or whatever, he still didn't have formal finance, you know, or loan approval. Oh no! But I knew that um, I knew that I just had to go for it because if it was a block, if this was going to go for under two mil, I had to have my name on it because mm. there was been no no sales in the area for under two mil for a block of units like that. So, if this was the opportunity, I had to do it. And I remember being at the auction. Um, you know, Damon Cooley, one of the best auctioneers. Except this 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 time, it wasn't on my side. <laughs> and uh, uh, and basically, um, you know, I, I, he said to me, "Don't go over 1.75." And I thought, okay. And, and it actually did um, because I, I I thought that I had it, so I had to just go a little bit over. Um, plus, I wanted to test him, make sure it was really good anyway. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and so we bought it and. Uh, Look, I, I must have, yeah, that was quite the morning when I woke up thinking, what what have I just done, you know? <laughs> Bias from <But> horse. <laughs> absolutely, you know, boy, t- talk about, you know, so having that feeling, you know, I do help a lot of my, my clients, obviously, because I know exactly what that feels like. But I also know that um, it's been the best decision in, in real estate when you say when everything fell into line, that's been it. Wow. I mean, uh, you know, it, it, it I, we changed the rents from $400 a week uh, on average in, in the two-bedroom units up to 700 Wow, that's a big jump. Huge jump, you know, We and, we, and that's without a complete renovation. It's just that they're undervalued. Um, the tenants have been there forever. They were just run down. So it was literally a coat of paint, uh, new floors, without even changing kitchens or bathrooms, just tight, a tidy up. We really changed, um, yeah, the, the rents wow. overnight. So everything just literally, like you say, fell into place. And we moved into the worst one, and, and we've only just finished renovating it last year. 
Um, and uh, and that was probably the the hardest thing to do to live in a you know, <laughs> yeah. half unrenovated place. Yeah. But um, but the rest all looked great, and and, and it's, yeah, it's been the best journey ever. He ended up paying slightly over what he was recommended to spend, making the final purchase price at about one point seven six five million dollars. No, an extra fifteen, thank God. I, it wasn't I don't much, think I had yeah. any more. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd, and I thought to myself, I can cover that if it comes down to it, I'll cover it. Yeah. Because I also got a long uh, four month settlement, so if anything went wrong, I could. I had time to either sell or do something, you know. So, wow. so it was a real. It was a yeah. It was a leap of faith, um, but it was a calculated leap at the same time, knowing Excellent. that yeah, we had stuff to sell to to make it happen. And when would you say that was purchased? That was, uh, was six and a half, seven years ago now. Wow, I'm assuming it's worth a lot more than the one point seven six million dollars you purchased it at. Four, four and a half uh, just got valued uh, recently at and. Uh, and that's without doing anything like any any um, I guess any uh, development. So that that that's the next phase, and that'll really change things. Although he has so much to be excited about, the DA approval he's about to put through takes the cake. One of the the biggest challenges there is to work out. Um, we've had a few architects come through and. And believe it or not, so if you can picture a fully renovated block of units with a nice backyard and front yard and everything looks beautiful now, they're all saying to me, I need to knock it down. <laughs> okay. So I had to get my head around that and I still am to be honest, but the numbers are so good. We do knock it down, that it's hard to actually ignore that. Um, so after doing all this work and doing a lot of it myself and having a lot of memories there and, you know, doing, you know, yeah, just everything's got a story to it. Um, to be faced with the prospect that we're going to knock it down um, is, is huge. Um, but having said that, um, yeah, look, the money we stand to make and that's where you need to put your emotions aside and say, well, um, that uh, the block's already set my family up, uh, not just that block but a few of the other properties. But um, the other block of units that we own is also is on a 1,000-square-metre block of land and we've recently – uh, just late last year, we bought the house next door with another thousand square meter block, so we can de- develop that into 25 units. So, wow. yeah, I won't. Oh, I say I won't, but you know that's a long-term project. I don't, I don't see myself doing that for another 10 years. But to know that we can do that, and that they're both positive geared, is great mm. um, because it means that we're just sitting on a on a nest egg. So that's. So I guess it's all very exciting knowing to answer the question. Knowing that the future, you know, whichever way we go, the future's pretty much, we've done the hard yards, I guess is probably what you could say. The only thing that was holding him back from investing was a lack of knowledge on what to do and he's found he's not alone. And I find that with my clients as well that there's a feeling that you've got to do something but just not knowing what it is that you've got to do and and that in itself, you know, well, I guess yeah, there's fear involved and there's all different things that happen and a lot of people you understand that uh, everyone's a real estate um, uh, expert or advisor, <laughs> you know, in life. You know, uh, and the more barbecues I, I attend now, you know, uh, people will ask me because they know who I am, and they'll sort of go, "Hey, what do you think this year, or what should I do, or whatever else?" And there's always I start telling them what I what I think, and then there's always someone that will jump in and and, and start to sort of give more advice, you know. And the people around me who know who I am or whatever else might, you know, they always have a laugh. At me with me and sort of go or at me and say, um, yeah, you know, everyone's a real estate expert. And one of the, the, the biggest parts of, I guess, what I've, what I've done and um, I guess uh, what, what really kicked me off 
was having great mentors around me. And those mentors um, have amazing portfolios. They're, they're very smart guys who um, who basically, I guess, uh, worked it out. And, and one of them always says, you know, uh, it's it, life is all about, you know, you get hit with a challenge and you just got to work it out. And one of those is financial stability. And and a lot of people don't work it out. So uh, the word entrepreneur gets thrown around these days. Like, you know, I watch, you know, my wife watches a bit of reality TV where everyone's, you know, when they when they join, like on The Bachelor or something, they're an entrepreneur. You know? <laughs> but yeah, yeah. But, but when they get asked, you know, what, what, is, what is it that they're entre- entrepreneurial about? Oh, it's just that it's who I am. <laughs> okay, but what have you done? You know? <laughs> and I think uh, the biggest for me, an entrepreneur is someone who's actually. Yeah, worked it out as far as um, financially, and said, well, you know, I worked out how to make money without uh, my time. In other words, my money makes me money, and that's the point. When that penny drops, and you finally realise that in life you're either going to be a slave to your job, um, which which also makes it that you don't enjoy your job as much because if you're a slave to it, it you know, you've got to get up every day and you have to show up. Then you soon realise that, um, hey, it's better to do something that I really love if I don't really have to, and that's, that becomes really cool. So if you can work that out and realize that it's either you getting up every day and making a lot of money or what's your money actually doing? Because a lot of people are sitting on, especially in Sydney after the boom, sitting on a lot of equity. And uh, and when I show up and I meet you know my, my potential clients who are all in their 40s and 50s in, in that regard and they're sitting on a lot of equity, a you know, million dollars, $2 million worth of equity, their money sits at home every day whilst they get up every morning and go to work and they don't do anything about it. And I say, well, why don't we get that money to start working for you? And that, that's, that's the big shift. He extends the strategy that he uses himself to his clients and tweaks it to suit the individual buyer. It's typically the same. Um, it's just, um, I guess, what changes is, uh, well, depending on what they have and what their past experiences has been, have been, and also what areas they're looking to invest in. Because even though I'll say to them, you know, I think you should invest here. Hey, they've got to feel comfortable, and I can only advise or suggest. It's really their journey, not mine. But I know that um, probably eighty percent of the time they'll they'll follow me and say, yeah, that sounds great. Let's go with that. Um, the strategy doesn't change that much. I mean, you can read. I think you can read a lot of books on the subject, and and I have. And and generally speaking, you know, it's all about. Uh, being able to build a portfolio where you've got positive geared property um, sitting in it. In other words, not costing you money. Uh, Generally speaking, they're all interest only. And the biggest mental shift to get around your mind is that you're not actually in the business of paying off 10 homes. You're in the business of holding those homes. uh, And what's making you money is the boom periods. The reality is is that, um, yes, you can wait. You can do it and... um, uh, there's two key things I think that, that have worked for me besides that strategy is that I fabricate my own equity by renovating. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, you know, that makes uh, makes it so that I get more return on each property and also it values up uh, for, to buy the next one. And so once I've got something that's positive geared, I've also got a lot of equity in it so I can then use that to, to keep going. So hence... The hardest ones to buy are the first, second, and third, but after that, the rest become pretty easy. But we maintain a pretty, uh, you know, high goals, like we said in the last episode, and, and a routine of each year we renovate two or three. We do, you know, um, yeah, we do. We we, we 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 reinvest in it, I guess, and we're con- you know we're constantly adding more value so that everything values up and moves on to the next one. 
you know, I've heard other strategies out there and uh, some of them is to flip. But the problem with flipping properties that I, I believe you lose a lot of money mm. in fees and costs and things, you know, and taxes. Um, so I find that you're better off keeping that equity in that home and using it for the next one. Um, the other part of that is that, um, or the other strategy that I've heard um, that kind of, well, it's been around for a while, but there's different people that have come along and um, revived it, I guess, is that instead of owning, you know, 10 properties and selling down half and paying off half, uh, they end up owning 30, 40 or 50 properties. And what they're living off is just the, they buy them only when they're positive geared and they buy them so that they're, um, uh, the, the money they're making is like you know 100 or 200 dollars on off each property each month, but if you've got 30 of them, then obviously you've got you've replaced your income. Um, the downside of that is that um, it's not for me, so I don't tend to advise it because I find that it's higher risk, and I find that well, you just don't have the equity that, that I've got. You know, like we're on 50% equity, 50% loans. You know, we've still got you know six and a half million dollars out there, but. Um, we can cash in three and a half, Definitely. you know, or three. Mm. Yeah, so that, that that that's the difference, and that's what uh, I guess lets me sleep at night. That's the point. It only takes one storm to come through, and then you end up in a lot of trouble. Mm. Um, and I know that there's a couple out there at the moment that are that are saying, "No, no, it's all great," but you know, they've only lived uh, through one boom, and uh, and you know, there's a storm always coming. And you've got to out, that's what you've got to outlive. You know, any yeah. any captain can steer a ship in perfect weather. <laughs> you know, that's that's the thing. So um, so I think having yeah, having equity and having positive gear around you, you really, I mean, yeah, I say you can't go wrong, but you've got less chance to go wrong, and you can always sell one to to get yourself out of trouble if you had to. He reveals how important his business relationships are in the Sydney market. I'm amazed as well because I thought. Um, the toughest time was um, a year and a half ago when the market got really tough for about a quarter um, and that was the, the hardest time because we typically bring, you know, um, we cover our wage, you know, what we charge and we usually double or triple it. So in other words, you know, we make them around $50,000 a purchase um, by buying undervalued. But um, look, we still managed to do it. They still exist. I mean, we just bought one in December. Um, where it was a two-bedroom unit in Bondi, we paid just over the million dollars, a million, a million and eleven dollars. Um, it's worth. It got valued. The value came through and said it was worth one one five. So we made one hundred fifty grand for them. Um, they're currently going through a renovation where it'll be worth even more than that. Um, so the the properties do exist. Um, how we do it? Yeah, look, we're doing it every day. So our relationships with the agents are you know second to none because they've known me for such a long time. I've known them. I've been a real estate agent for 20 years, so I even, you know, helped them along the way to create deals and advise them and teach them and do different things. But the reality is, is that, I mean, we've got a great working relationship. So whenever they've got something, they'll share it with me and say, hey, look, um, I need to sell this for a million bucks uh, or 950, for example. Uh, you got to buy? And I'll say, yeah, absolutely. And, um, and we do a deal. Um, and out of every 10 deals that I see at the moment, there are two or three that are undervalued. Uh, the rest of them are either – so five of those are on market and two or three are overpriced. So that's mm. kind of the, the current scenario. When the market changes and it becomes uh, – well, when it got really tight, it was you know, only one deal out of the ten that became undervalued. That was very tough. Mm. But uh, typically it floats around those sort of numbers and then if it becomes 
um, on the opposite, which Bondi rarely becomes a, a buyer's market. But if it did, it'd kind of be born balanced. So it might be, you know, five of them are, are undervalued and five aren't, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. But, um, but there are undervalued properties all the time. Not forgetting that the reason why people struggle to buy those, I guess, without us is that the second part of that is that you've got to um, – you've got to actually recognize an undervalued property when you see it. And I see a lot of uh, buyers that are my competitors, they show up and they struggle to, they hesitate because they don't they don't know the market. They don't know value when they see it. So whereas I do and I know that that's under, that, that I can get a good deal there and I jump on it. I lived uh, in, in, in the East now for uh, 17, 18 years. So, and I've kept an eye on the market for that long and I've worked it for the last seven or eight years now. So, um, yeah, you get to know it pretty well. Are you able to share a personal habit that's contributed to your property investment success? I'm competitive but I like to get it right and I guess as a habit, uh, I like to know that um, I'm in a safe place. In other words, safety or security is a big thing in part of my world. So the habits that that, 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 that I run around my, my daily or weekly or monthly is um, I guess what we talked about before which is setting a goal each year for, for the whole year and then breaking it down uh, Per month and or per quarter and per month and then per week. So, I run a pretty tight ship, uh, and we're, we're busy people, uh, both wife and I, and, and we just um, we get through the the, the the weeks. So every you know Sunday night, the habit that I have is that I'll sit whilst we're watching a bit of TV, but I'll actually sit and and break down and I'll reanalyze the yearly goals and I'll break down to see what has to happen this week. You know, so uh, I find that a lot of people are more reactive to life and the world as opposed to proactive and whereas I like to be you know I've run a business for a long time so you have to be um, thinking about where you want to take that business. I think that's a fantastic personal habit that anyone can really pick up because it's really just reviewing your goals on a weekly basis not just at the end of the year or beginning of the year. Yeah, that's exactly right or not have goals at all which yes. you know a lot, of, a lot of people don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so I hope my wife's listening. <laughs> Make sure send it out to her after this. <laughs> I know, I know, no, but she's she's been great. But when we first met, she, uh, yeah, we only got married last year. So when we first Congrats. met, she said, "Wow, you do all this, you know?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, she was, yeah, used to working for for a company, but I said, "Yeah, this is the way, this is the way it runs." But no, she, she's she's been great. And look, I will tell you what, I mean, you know, uh, part of this is also having a partner alongside that is your actual partner, you know, your best friend, but also. It comes along for the journey because that's where a lot of I see a lot of clients struggle with that because one of the two will be motivated to um, to invest and to get ahead in life, and if the other one's not, it can be a huge challenge. Mm. So uh, part of that is is making sure that your goals all happen together and and you're aiming the same way because that can be well a make or break deal basically. Nanny's recommendation for books on property investing is to start with the classics. I haven't uh, read uh, uh, books like that for some time. I used to read a lot of them. Um, I know that uh, probably two of the the ones that really changed or, or got me on the right thinking was uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad, which I know everyone talks about, but mm. it's such a good book for its time that you know the principles are still there. Um, I used to actually get up and speak about that book. That's how I first got, first got started speaking, you know, about investing because I, um, I thought, yeah, this makes sense, you know, like it's all about money makes money and uh, either that or you're making it yourself. And and, uh, and I had a similar experience where, you know, um, you know we, we're blue, you know, we migrated to Australia uh, when I was eight years old and my family came out and, 
and for me, I mean, my dad's a, you know, um, a blue-collar worker, so, you know, um, a tradie. So in the end, I mean, uh, my rich dad was more my, my first business partner who was my mentor as well, and, and that's how I learned how to invest in real estate. So I could really relate to that book, um, and I still can. And uh, and then there's uh, The Richest Man in Babylon was probably another one that, that, um, that also helped me uh, recognize that if you, you know, You've got to pay yourself first, and uh, and the moral of that book is that basically, yeah, you've got to invest and put money aside so that um, it uh, it money again makes money same principle, and it and it just accumulates. Um, uh, and if you don't do that, then you're, you're doing yourself an injustice. So once you get your head around uh, things like that, it, it they can change your perception, uh, and it's part of the journey. And I think, especially if you're you know, starting out and want to get your hands on a good book, I think that'd be great. And look, I haven't read them in a long time, so even when you ask me, I've got to think back, right? You know? <laughs> but but it's funny how they stick in your mind. You can quickly just go, oh, hang on a minute. Um, but the principles are in, in your head, basically. That, that's the point. Thank you to Walter Nanny, our guest on this episode of Property Investory.